0: Okay, Cindy, hello, welcome. You're here Hi. and we're we're in Florida um, and we're at our Airbnb. So you've actually come to visit us. You've actually drove down an hour and a half from Daytona. Yes. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. For coming all the way because um, we probably should have come to you.
1: It's okay, it's, it's, <laughs> it's exciting to be here and uh, there's actually a Florida Fire Chiefs Conference Starting so later today is a health and safety meeting, okay, and and meeting up with some of the business partners that are in town for that as well. So your timing is always is okay. impeccable.
0: Perfect, and we've met a few times before at different shows, yes. uh, Indianapolis, mm-hmm. FRI show, mm-hmm. Atlanta, yes, yeah, a couple of things. Never had a never had the opportunity to sit down actually have a decent chat. So hopefully we can do that now. Yes. But I wanted to hopefully go through um, a bit of your history, and you mm-hmm. tell us. Um, Basically, your story and how, you're, how you are where you are now, and um, sure. what you've been up to.
1: Well, um, as a child, I'll give you the brief part. Uh, I actually rode on a fire engine checking old fire boxes in Bennington, Vermont, with a, a beloved uncle who was my hero growing up, and uh, had the entire town's box system memorized. So you used to run to a street corner, pull a handle on the on red box on, on a pole. And then the fire engines would respond, and uh, that's how the, the towns would receive their help. And this was before 911. So there was an entire system where a number of gongs would go off, and you would count. So, say a 321 was the corner of 5th and Main. Uh, the fire equipment would respond to that corner and then wait for people to flag them to where the emergency was. So, that is how people in the early days received help. Uh, before the 911 system came in, in the country. That was their version of? It was, yes.
0: Hmm. That's interesting.
1: So my uncle was the town engineer and actually maintained that system. And so there were times where we would ride around in his town engineer truck, and times where I got to actually ride on the fire engine with him, checking the boxes. So I caught the bug early. Um, Fast forward, uh, became uh, interested in fire and emergency work uh, because I started dating a volunteer firefighter. Prior to that, I was a private investigator. So I had a curiosity about me always anyways. And when I realized that this volunteer fire service uh, work was pretty interesting and and something I could enjoy, I jumped in with both feet. And uh, from there, transitioned to career fire service, uh, became uh, an employee for Anne Arundel County Fire Department in Southern Maryland, and got involved with the the union at the time because i realized we had significant health and safety issues a year after coming out of fire school found out that we were all exposed to pcbs at our training academy courtesy of our regional electric company that was donating used transformer oil to us for live fire training they knew it was going to give us cancer they knew that that transformer oil was highly carcinogenic and they covered it up so i began investigating and seeking answers and asking questions. And so for the last 30 years, have been trying to figure out what the exposures are that are driving our current illness trends, but also how do we change the future moving forward and turn those negatives into a positive. And and that's making folks more aware of all the different aspects of what affects their health, physically, mentally, life on and off the job, their families, but also how do you survive this? You know, it's, I still believe this is the best profession in the world. Um, I wouldn't change or trade anything that I've done, but uh, at the same time, this is a dangerous profession and, and one that has to be uh, treated with great respect, but also with a level of education and continual training because it's ever evolving now. And to the point where every day that you walk into a fire station, you're exposed to carcinogens before you even go on a fire call. Never used to be that way.
0: That's crazy. It's, it's, it's a great story to hear it from right at the start, you know, where where you started from. And then we've, only, I've never had this conversation, so it's really interesting. So moving on from that then, the Cancer Foundation, mm-hmm. was that set up, when was that set up?
1: 2004. We were actually the first firefighter cancer organization, non-profit, for the fire service in the United States. Okay. Uh, realized that there was a quickly growing need to give the families and the firefighters that were dying of cancer a voice and and also a concerted effort to try to give them resources and give them direction. You know, who who do they turn to? Where do they go when they're diagnosed with cancer or when they're going through the medical monitoring process of trying to figure out what's wrong with their body? It was pretty daunting because science wasn't ready for this. Uh, 20 years ago, we suspected the diesel exhaust Uh, was an issue. Uh, I believed at the time that it was the one singular carcinogen that everyone was exposed to. And it took until within the last less than 10 years for the World Health Organization to declare diesel exhaust a known carcinogen. So science has greatly lagged behind uh, because of equipment and processes and things that just were not physically available 10, 20, 30 years ago.
0: So imagine now with technology that's around, you're Mm -hmm. seeing it you're seeing the exponential growth of this Absolutely. science and technology f- to be able to test things and yes. and find things yes. really quickly.
1: And we're fast tracking, which is is mind-boggling to me now because you know, before we'd have to wait years for results for some of these hmm. studies and some of this work. The the challenge to the industry is that we're still creating brand new science. So there does have to be a level of patience that we use. Um, obviously, we want the answers now, we want the cures, we want better medical monitoring, we want better assessment of what the chemicals are. That physical equipment can still only do so much. So we're having to temper the process and, and progression of technology with how everything else with regards to the exposures and the chemicals have changed dramatically also.
0: Mm-hmm. And then not to mention all the things that are happening now you mentioned a minute ago with the different types of um things that are affecting the mm-hmm. firefighters in different types of cars, different, yes. you talked about, um, you used to see only sort of wooden, wooden yeah. houses burning Yes. and now, I mean, look what's in this house.
1: Yes. Now it's, now it's chemicals we can't pronounce. Chemicals when they mix, we'll never know what they become. Um, we learned out of 9-11 that we had literally uh, thousands of, of chemicals that we'll never understand what those compounds became when they were superheated and mixed together. Um, that's both both daunting, but also kind of exhilarating in that we are unlocking some of these answers that we never thought we would gain. And at the same time, facing the reality of, of what science and fire technology in the fire industry is becoming in the future, you know, before you, you trained to figure out how to put a fire out. Now you have to train to understand not only how to put the fire out, but how to basically survive the products of the fire thereafter and long-term thereafter. And that's both physically, physiologically, and, and and even mentally.
0: So how far does your, does the organization, the foundation reach now? Are you talking to all the time to different firehouses? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how like granular do you get, do you get right down to speaking to the actual Mm -hmm. people?
1: Some of my favorite times, the favorite times of our team are literally the time sitting around a coffee table or being able to sit in a fire station and just talk one-on-one with the crews and with the folks and find out not only what their level of understanding and appreciation for all this is, but also what are they doing and and what is their engagement to move forward with this? Uh, We have to temper our messaging and our processes because not everybody gets it yet. Uh, That's been one of the biggest challenges. Up until 2006, we only had 19 mortality morbidity studies worldwide on firefighter cancer. So when you look at now literally 13 years, almost 14 years of watching science and medicine fast track, that's pretty incredible from a research standpoint, but also from a mental processing standpoint, if you will.
0: there's been a massive change for the firefighters and they have to, Huge. they've got to really sort of switch to this new way of thinking.
1: Yes. Yes. And the fire service does not like change. Fast. Yeah.
0: They, they don't want this, to do things. This is,
1: as they say, 200 years of plus of, of culture. Mm. Uh, and how do you maintain the culture and the dynamics of what the fire service has been built on and, and still respect that honor and that tradition and at the same time not continue to kill ourselves doing it?
0: Yeah. I guess it, in, a, in a sort of roundup, it's bad that obviously people are leaving the fire service, but you're getting a new breed of people coming through. Mm-hmm. I guess they're easier to uh, change their, the mentality of stuff yes. rather than the older guys might be harder to change. I'm not sure.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. You can literally break down the dynamic. The, the new folks that are coming in through fire academy and new into the fire service, they're more open-minded to the, the processes and, and the effects of the exposures and how we have to change what we do. So if we can continue to get them on the right foot from the start um, and, and get them thinking along the right lines of how do we not only attack putting a fire out, but how do we mitigate the byproducts of the fire afterwards, whether it's on the fire scene itself with relation to the ecology, the, the folks that have to deal with that say from a business owner or homeowner standpoint which is something that we're still not really addressing strongly as an industry as of yet mm-hmm. to obviously how it's affecting our own physical and mental health uh for the the fire and ems workers themselves
0: can you give me some stats then i mean you've got some bits here to look mm-hmm. at but can you give me some sort of high level stats about how recently how much this is affecting the fire the firefighters so
1: it's pretty incredible when you look at cancer in the united states alone cancer is high but we always look at general population numbers first and then let's quantify the fire service numbers second and, and that way it keeps it scientifically relatable um, and and also appropriate uh, when you're looking at what the trends actually are the latest cdc research uh, through meta-analysis quantified that we're currently at at least 10 percent over general population Across the board for diagnosis of cancer in the fire service, with a 14% uh, mortality rate above general population. Okay. Those are based on studies of uh, statistical tracking of major metropolitan fire departments that have greater than 30 years, 20, 30 years of data. So, from a scientific standpoint, it, it does have not only sustainability in tracking those numbers and and the relative basically relation of that information, but moving forward, we're realizing, okay, now exposure tracking is going to be even more important, and quantifying what all this data is, and then what do we do with it?
0: And who's doing that? Is
1: Well, the good news is that the CDC uh, is getting ready to kick off a, a brand new website It actually just went live um, for firefighter cancer registry tracking. Uh, we'll have the link for you, but it's exciting in that um, uh, and I just popped it out um, actually last night on social media because we were just notified yesterday that the new page mm-hmm. for CDC and NIOSH is live.
0: So what does that allow them to do? With so that? it
1: allows anyone connected to the fire service to register and by and it's, it's all voluntary, but by having our own folks engage, uh, we want people that not only have had cancer but have not had cancer. So again, now we can start looking at the latencies and we can look at you know, how the service is transforming with these processes, you know, are, are you, we being effective or not effective?
0: Are you going to look at, are they going to be adding historical data to that website so you can talk about I hope so. previous?
1: I hope so. Um, it, again, it's still all being newly created right now by an amazing team through the CDC and NIOSH. Um, a number of organizations uh, such as the firefighter cancer foundation are consulting and advising on pieces that should be included information that should be included as part of that query. But um, it's exciting that we'll finally have uh, a clearinghouse, if you will, for that part of the information. Uh, In the meantime, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation is actually working on a new database tracking model for extracting information from the uh, National Cancer Institute hospitals and state databases. So now we can compare that voluntary reporting With what we're actually seeing reported and tracked actually in the hospitals themselves and through the state health systems Mm -hmm. and that's something that we haven't really tackled as of yet
0: and in the hospitals previous or historically do they track occupation like can you tell if someone was a firefighter
1: they do and they don't Um, they will ask as part of their initial patient interview what the occupation is of that patient But unfortunately, if someone is a volunteer firefighter, they don't always think to include that.
0: They'll say, I'm an IT technician. Exactly,
1: Uh, or I'm an attorney, or I'm an insurance agent, uh, or I work in any of these other vocations. And yet, when they're not in that vocation, the rest of their time is spent being exposed to carcinogens in the fire service. They sort of forget to include that piece.
0: And that's the bit that is interesting. And that's
1: actually a bigger piece that could be causing their illness or could be causing ultimately their, their death. Um, So we're missing a lot of that information and have been. So I'm hoping historically we'll be able to change that moving forward.
0: That's good then. That sounds like that that database could uh, build quite rapidly. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so that was touch on the Firefighter Cancer Foundation. Um, Can you talk about the the different rates of cancer between trainers and firefighters is do we see a difference
1: we right now we we don't have actual numbers as of yet uh, we do know that the two most highly chronically exposed groups of the fire service are fire investigators and and fire um, our fire trainers um, or our fire instructors the the challenge with these folks is that they are some of our most seasoned professionals there are typically some of our older professionals Um, often, and they're also the folks that are are more challenging to change with regards to cultural practice. So when you're looking at trying to get those folks to not only live healthier, but also to follow new best practices that are being developed, you know, such as decontamination, um, such as positioning of of fire apparatus uh, with regards to wind change and and byproducts coming off a fire. You know, it's interesting, we're, we're kind of going full circle now. Uh, it used to be that the person driving the fire engine would actually check their wind direction uh, on any given call before they responded to that call, not just a hazardous materials event. We kind of got away from that. Um, Now we're having to circle back and and let's look at where we position our apparatus where something is burning. Mm -hmm. Wind is is not an absolute. It can change at any given time. Um, So having respect for for that and, and... those things that happen on a fire ground, your exposure space changes uh, at any given second. And that's something that we're gonna have to work harder to change in the minds of the the fire service personnel because we see too many folks on that scene literally standing in plumes of smoke that we know shouldn't be. Mm. Um, So, you know, how do do we encourage folks, again, to wear respiratory protection in areas where normally they would not?
0: And that's a good thing, I'm a good point. You said a minute ago that arson investigators are want some of the most exposed yes. and is that because they go into these buildings after the fire has been put out mm-hmm. but it's still full of really bad carcinogens
1: correct and and actually that's the, the worst phase to go in is while the fire is not free burning it's it's once the fire is out and all the byproducts are left either free floating in the air or everything is settled and now it's being kicked back up and and now it's being turned back into a cloud and and you know Turn into vapor and, and, and floating and sticking to everything.
0: Yeah, I guess when it's when there's a lot of fire and water being squirted around, it's sort of subduing what is in the in exactly. the building. Afterwards, yeah. when it's dried out, kicked about, it's so much easier to breathe it in. Correct. So I guess um, are they taking are uh, like imagine IWA I and uh, UK AFI and mm-hmm. people like that are they taking all this advice and do they do they now wear yeah. different apparatus?
1: So. We're excited in, in the work with the IAAI and with RS investigators worldwide. We've built a seven-year relationship with this community. That was
0: actually another place we met, I think. Yes, Jacksonville. Yes,
1: that's right. Um, so just in the past year, we developed a best practices, uh, quick facts document. And then in addition to, to that document for the investigators, we also are looking at the actual respiratory protection sheet.
0: So this goes, is this gonna go out to all to all of them?
1: These are actually already live on the IAAI website, okay. uh, as well as our website. These are free downloads. We have a, a very strong, um, aggressive health and safety committee right now working within IAAI to not only update the current 15 page best practices document. Uh, that's about to actually be referenced from what I understand by uh, NFPA in some of their, their newer, uh, Doc's being, being prepared right now. Mm-hmm. But again, as, as we're trying to bring the rest of the arson service and the fire investigative services and fire inspectors up to speed, it's creation of things like this, these informationals that we believe will help to kind of wake up that community, mm. if you will.
0: I see on here uh, inhalation, ingestion, absorption. Yes. Can you talk about that? Because That's I right. met um, Cecile mm-hmm. um, when we were over in Atlanta. I think mm-hmm. she was there, and also saw her in Stockholm at yeah. iTech with yes. um, Martine Um But she had done some sort of study, um, and it was really interesting to hear about the amounts of absorption after, yeah. days after. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: It's pretty amazing because we, we've realized uh, through initial sampling just of the firefighter gear that the gear itself will off gas for 72 to 96 hours. And that's just gear that has um, ash or soot on its surface. So now let's look at the byproducts of what's actually left in the fire building. And as you're kicking that up and, and again aerosolizing that, uh, now those particles that actually are more dangerous because you've got minute to large. The minute are the ones that are gonna typically be, be taken to the system through the respiratory, through inhalation. Your larger can, can land on the skin and land on other surfaces and stick. And then you've got oral ingestion of, you know, as you're speaking, as you're breathing, you know, through your mouth, again, actually swallowing them and having them actually go into the GI tract. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other piece that's challenging for our investigators is how do you protect the skin? Typically, many of them are wearing uh, Tyvek right now. We're, We're looking at new materials that could be utilized that will allow them to function without having to sweat so badly because Tyvek is very hot to the body. So now you're raising the body temperature. We've already learned again through a NIOSH and CDC scientific study that for every five degree increase in body temperature, you're looking at an average of 400 times more absorption through the skin. That's incredible Uh, and mind boggling. So while the skin is still protected, that's one thing, but there are parts of the skin that are not protected that are still exposed. So you know you have face, you have neck, typically hands. They may or may not be wearing gloves, depending on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the, the footwear that they're they're wearing, you've got absorption to the lower leg area as well.
0: And I guess they're looking at all of this for actual firefighters as well as the arson Correct. investigators. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, then again, the uh, same again. A rapid, I bet the rapid uh, increase in sort of technology and materials mm-hmm. is making this work for you. Mm-hmm even more exciting maybe than it used to be because it's moving so quickly. It is. You haven't got it to is. wait anymore no. as, as long.
1: No. Um, yeah. The uh, spectroscopy possibilities now have so greatly improved for analyzing the effectiveness of new fibers and, and new things that we're looking at, trying to, to test and see the effectiveness and how they work. Do they block? Do they not block? And to what percentage do they block? this particulate from getting through to the skin.
0: And what's the sort of cutting edge of that at the moment? Is there like something that can be sprayed on the skin or, you know, what's...
1: Well, what's real exciting, there's there's uh, one particular company that has actually developed a next to skin garment that can actually block to 99.3% according to DuPont testing.
0: And does not make them too hot?
1: Not so far, no, which is amazing because the design of this allows the body to, to vent uh, its actual heat and at the same time you have breathability, but you also have the protection of, of blocking the particulate. That's cool, so interesting. That's exciting.
0: And are they, do you speak to those guys? We do, yeah.
1: we do, we work with them on a regular basis.
0: Good, okay. Uh,
1: so that's exciting. Um, the The dermals themselves with regards to uh, applicable, uh, like a, a roll-on or a cream, uh, those aren't there yet. We know that there are many folks that are that are kind of racing to see who can get to the gate first with something along those lines. I don't think it'll be very long. Um, yeah, it'll move you, fast. Yeah, and then look at the return of uh, charcoal and activated charcoal uh, for its binding properties to, to heavy metals and and certain byproducts. So again, we're, we're revisiting old science and looking at what worked in the past for certain applications, and then we're looking to, to brand new things that can be applied as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose this is a bit to touch on. the. The fact that they obviously, these in- arson investigators go out to these fires and try and um, find the cause mm-hmm. is obviously what they do, but they train for that as well. So in the UK, we mm-hmm. see them do that, and obviously they do that in the US as well. Mm-hmm. Are there, is, there, is there the understanding within the training department as well, obviously, because they're burning willingly yes. and then going into these containers. Yes. So when I, I see it in the UK now, obviously, that's where we come up with our product. That's where we saw the niche mm-hmm. to get River Investigate to be a, a product for fire investigators to mm-hmm. use for training. So do you think that that's going to be a hard challenge for it? I mean, we're seeing people picking, taking it up now, sure. um, but it's been slow. Yeah. It's hard to get them to like, for example, yesterday I had a bit of free time. The, the guys went to Disneyland for a bit. I went mm-hmm. and quickly had a little look and then left. And then I went to four firehouses yeah. and just stopped and, oh, wow. and gave them flyers and my business card and I okay. said, look, I'm here. Let me know if you want me to come back and do a demo mm-hmm. because it's, it's about getting that VR headset on their head mm-hmm. to be able to make them understand how it can be beneficial to them. Right. Do you think it's going to be a challenge to get them to stop burning for training in the real world?
1: Well, we had this discussion. Um, we actually attended the Fort Lauderdale live fire training in October. And that is the largest annual fire training event that's held in the country. Uh, They had, I believe it was 35 buildings that were utilized for various aspects of training. And you went along? We were there. Uh, We were not only only testing some new decontamination products to see how well they may be received, but also looking at the actual process of, again, working through the training side and, and the training exposure portion of trying to reduce their exposures. We also looked at the effects of the differences in their firefighter gear itself on the heat of their body on their body temperature. Mm -hmm. There have been some questions about the encapsulation uh, of the body right now in newer firefighter gear and how we're cooking ourselves from the inside out. Uh, While the gear is now being designed to not only protect the firefighter from heat, but also from chemicals, are we now over-encapsulating the body to the point where it's not healthy, they're overheating. Mm. So-
0: A different problem.
1: It's a different problem, yeah. And yeah. seeking a solution for one, we're creating or, or adding to a problem in another in mm. another column. So that's something that we have to be cognizant of. Uh, we also did rapid body cooling on some of the fire instructors that were going into the burn rooms mm-hmm. uh, because we were dealing with Florida heat and humidity on that day and granted it, it was only about 80, 45 degrees, which is not bad for Florida weather, and yet the, the temperatures on these instructors going to the burn rooms were quite hot. So to be able to cool them before they went into a burn room, and then to be able to cool them after they came out in a cooling trailer, it was interesting to see how cognitively their functions changed. So we actually did some cognitive testing with them okay. and, and observations, and again, all just you know loosely based on science, but to start to look at how do we better assimilate the effects of, of what we're doing to ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and to our industry? So it was a great opportunity to kind of query a lot of different areas all at the same time.
0: Were you were you shocked watching them do all the burns? No. You don't say no. anything, you just
1: Yeah, the, the the only part that shocked me was was the mentality that it was okay to stand and breathe smoke. Yeah. We still haven't gotten away from that. Okay. And, and, and that was at, at many ranks and, and levels within the department and the service. And I'm looking at some of the brightest and the best of our fire service as instructors, and I'm watching them stand in plumes of smoke to the point you could not see them. And I'm thinking, you know, that person could be dead in five years. <sighs> Is this really necessary? Yes. Um, God, and I- we had those discussions. I actually pulled a group of experienced, seasoned instructors aside. And I said, I want you to be really honest with me. If you could actually do less of this and have an alternative where you knew you were training your personnel um, within the same means to be able to read the fire, to be able to read the smoke, to gain that knowledge and that thinking that has to be in the back of the brain while you're employing A through E of the proper steps of going in to fight a fire, would you do it? And and it was a pretty challenging uh, question to them because obviously the last thing they want to do is admit that they want to see less fire or be exposed to less fire. Yes. But a number of them have been to funerals of of their own. Um, some of them have had cancer themselves already. Some of them have resigned themselves to the fact that they're going to die of cancer sooner than later. And. So that was one of those those tough discussions that we need to continue to have. That's the reality of how the fire service is right now.
0: That sounded like a powerful conversation. That that would have been it a was. yeah. How many people were you we talking to then?
1: Probably about a dozen. Hmm. Um, just happened to find a, a good time between the the training fires, where I was able to pull a group of them together and go, "Hey guys, let's have a chat." Yeah. And and again, this is this is how we continue to evolve. Um, you can't just mandate or edict that these changes are going to happen and expect these folks to buy in. Hmm. They're not going to.
0: I think maybe it could be a slower approach. Like, may, let's not say stop burning. Right. Let's just say let's maybe half it. Right. right. That would be a start.
1: Right. And we even had um, we had an amazing group of, of fire service representatives from South America, chiefs in all different ranks that we were working with as well. So we were also doing bilingual training in decontamination and fire behavior also. So to get that that attitude from South America, who comes in with a very different, uh, they're at a very different point in their, their fire history, if you will. They don't have the cancer numbers that we have here. Mm. They have not been uh, in many places fighting fires internally as long as we have been here in the US. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see what their approach is and what their take is on this.
0: I imagine if you looked at a map of the world, there is all the different countries are in different places with their fire history. They are. Yeah.
1: And, and that's where it's important to to continue to look at these opportunities, to have those conversations, to learn from each other. You know, those of us that have been more highly exposed and, and are sicker and dying at, at higher rates, we need to talk to those that aren't so that we can hopefully prevent them from mm. ending up where we are now.
0: Yeah. Following on, I think you mentioned a minute ago about the burning of those rooms. And I mentioned as you walked in that that story just came out from Kirk. Yes. So Kirk McKinsey in uh, Consumers Fire Department Mm -hmm. in Sacramento. They've just started using uh, 24 headsets all linked together, VR headsets. Mm -hmm. And they filmed their own content, their own real world burns. Yes. Um, Then we did editing for them, sent Mm -hmm. them back to them and then they, um, they, they're now training their, their academy recruits. Mm-hmm. And the, the big thing they're finding, or the, the, the news I heard from Kirk recently, was that you can now put them in those situations of the burning room, mm-hmm. where they used to put people into that situation and then try and discuss what's happening with the flames. Yes. And for the first time, or the first few times, no one's listening. Right. No one's listening to them talking about the flames because they're too overwhelmed with this, what they're seeing. So they, yeah. they're using the virtual reality to bridge that gap um, you know, and in a safe way.
1: That's a great point that you raised because um, anyone that has gone into live fire training, you, you can't not have your heart rate go up. Physiologically, your body changes when you go into that atmosphere. Your brain goes into a different functional mode. Your body goes into a different functional mode you can't communicate the same way mm. verbally. Yeah. So to be able to put those folks into that visual acuity and still be able to communicate and still have the body at a, at a point where it can actually receive that information yes. and then hopefully absorb and process that information. Yeah. I think in the future, that's actually going to be a bigger positive for us. Yes. You still want to include live fire exposure and you want to do that again with, with seasoned trained professionals. Um, that can help to, to bring uh, you know, our junior folks in the service along to be able to look at this from a, a broader point of view and not to get tunnel vision. Tunnel mm-hmm. vision is typically what, what causes the firefighters to get into trouble. Um, so to be able to read that scenario and I think have a greater understanding, if you can apply that information to the brain ahead of time. So it's almost there in a library format that way when it's needed to be called up yep. during that real-time scenario that presents they're actually kind of on autopilot but it's autopilot that's controlled mm. that's actually been assimilated through a proper means a safe so, a safe means a, a safe means exactly <laughs> so honestly that's where i see this fitting in in the future
0: so you're seeing I, i'm always touched on virtual reality obviously for the, sure. the world that we're in but are you seeing an uptake or a, a rise of that sort of technology in the fire service?
1: You know, I am, it's, and it's amazing because uh, I attend both medical conferences and fire conferences regularly. I can tell you medical conferences and looking at cancer, where we can't look at cancer inside the body unless you're a surgeon that's actually doing that surgery. But even that surgeon can only see so much. From a molecular standpoint, it's the folks that are in the laboratory that are actually looking at cancer cells. Mm. Well, now through virtual reality, we can actually look at cancer cells. We can look at how chemicals travel through the bloodstream and and to the major organs of the body. So we can process that and understand it at a whole different level. That also allows us to, I think, become better thinkers and better problem solvers. So if you look at applying that to medicine and you look at applying that to science and now let's apply it to fire. I I think Mm -hmm. it's a great fit. We also have a newer generation coming up that has grown up gaming. OK, they've grown up with virtual reality being part of their norm, you know. So this isn't a stretch for them no. to, to relate it.
0: We can see how it might be a stretch for some of the the older, the older guys. Folks, yeah, yes, the dinosaurs. Yeah. But that is <laughs> that's with every new technology. It is. It is. Yeah. So you whenever I've met you in the past, you always seem like you embrace the technology quite. Absolutely. You're you're keen to know about the new things. Yes which is good so i think in a minute we'll probably give you a go on one of mm-hmm. one of our scenarios okay. i just like to put you in that burn container and get a bit of feedback from mm-hmm. you um but the whole of that has been completely what time are we on oh 34 it's not too bad <laughs> <laughs> it's not too long is there anything here that we you can yeah touch on more Your. so,
1: so some of the things that uh, to share in addition we I guess almost five well almost six years ago we came out with the the first decontamination matrix model for the for the fire service where we could actually give them a, a working model um both how to zone the fire ground to reduce their their exposure to the carcinogens but also how to actually remove their fire gear and and the proper order for removing that gear we've had to do a lot of troubleshooting because of again real world application you know what what can the firefighters actually apply to every scenario or what is only going to work in certain scenarios? We also have things like temperature, whether it's the ambient temperature of the air or the temperature of the firefighter at the time. Um, we also have altitude to deal with and then uh, the rest of the aspects on the scene that are all variables. So many consider. different variables. Correct. No two fires are the same. So that,
0: allow getting the firefighters to understand, okay, this is a a hot temperature outside, but right. there's a, hot, a cold fire. You know what that is, it that gets is confusing.
1: Yes. That's yes. going to be
0: hard to get them to learn. So you
1: have to take a, a basic plan and be able to make it uh, expandable and applicable to all these different scenarios. You know, while we're, we're advocating for the, the rinsing off of the soot off of the gear on the fire scene. Well, if you're in the lower 48 states of the U S and it's, and it's summertime or it's warm weather, that's fine. If it's wintertime or if you're in Alaska, uh, it's amazing because you know Alaska, the, the actual uh, plastic uh, bags that some of the gear is carried in, cracks and fractures. So even the materials that are used for day-to-day functions are different based on both atmosphere and, and weather in these various areas of the country.
0: Do, do, does the firefighter kit get taken away and like washed or decontaminated after every fire?
1: Not everywhere, not okay. everywhere. Um, we, have, we have a number of folks that are embracing that idea. Then we also have folks that are looking at the, the potential for from a cost and also from uh, an application standpoint. If they only have one set of fire gear, they may not be able to have their gear taken from the scene. Now they have to look at decontaminating on scene or decontaminating as soon as they return to the fire station. Mm. You know, if um, they have to remain in service and that gear has to remain in service, we've now realized there are steps that they can take that while they're not as effective ultimately, they are effective in the short term for at least reducing the amount of exposure.
0: Mm-hmm. Like we said, let's, let's try not to go in really hard and just Correct. stop the whole thing. Let's Correct. maybe half it in, yes. in that world as well.
1: Yes. So progress. Yeah. Um, Slow,
0: but at least that's some yes. sort of progress.
1: Yes. Um, we've been working with uh, an amazing hygienist out of Arizona, that has um, done a lot of the the particulate study over the past 20 plus years named Dawn Bolstad Johnson. She actually uh, created the first book uh, called Exposed, not only incorporating firefighter cancer stories, but also looking at how to relate those to reducing the actual exposures. And then at our request, she came up with 11 different work practices also that are being recommended as ways to reduce those exposures and, and better mitigate that.
0: And just go through a few of those, the so, 11.
1: simple things like um, the zoning of the fire ground. Uh, your, your hot zone is where your heaviest carcinogens are, closer to the fire scene. Mm-hmm. As you work out, obviously you wanna leave those behind, going from hot to warm to cold. Uh, ideally, we'd like to leave the firefighter encapsulated and protected while they're in the hot zone, transitioning to the warm zone. Even the folks that are helping them to remove their PPE should be protected. They mm. should be on respiratory protection. They should also be fully encapsulated themselves. Mm-hmm. That's brand new to the fire service. Um, when you're looking at the wearing of respiratory protection, we're now advancing to recommending that that respiratory protection be worn by the person working around the proximity of the fire engine, because now you have diesel exhaust that's being emitted from the engine. You also have byproducts of the fire. Yeah. Again, wind direction change. Blowing your way, yeah. Correct. A um, study out of San Francisco uh, Fire Department actually has already given preliminary information sharing that the person driving the fire engine and working that pump panel is one of the most highly exposed on the fire ground. Really? Yes. We were never able to quantify that before. Yeah.
0: Now the data is coming out. Now
1: the data is, is, is quantifying what we've suspected.
0: You, uh, would, you would think that it would be the guys that would be... You would think. Yeah. yeah. Running in and fighting fire.
1: Correct. Correct
0: it's not yeah we we heard about this um when i was in atlanta with um a few of the team we met cecile yes um she told ross who was one of the guys from river Mm -hmm. and he does our burns Mm -hmm. so he's done six live burns Mm -hmm. to create scenarios and the next day he was completely worried about it you know we hadn't heard all about about these things yes so he's there on the phone getting his sort of Insurance is in place and things like that. You know, it, it mm-hmm. kicks you into a different thinking about it. We were just burning, thinking we were making virtual reality training. Right. Didn't know. He's picking up every single item. Yes. With his hands. And yep. absorbing. Absorbing. Yes. Putting it onto his rig and scanning the object. Yes. So and now
1: transferring it to the rig.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and then now, so we've put loads more things in place. Okay. A little bit like this. Yes. But for the creation of the scenarios. Yes.
1: Yes. So we're learning as we go, mm. um, and that's mm. exciting because and it's it's a positivity that that comes with you know the negative of the oh my gosh what do we do?
0: What are the organizations that like the big organizations that need to to have buy-in to make this happen faster?
1: They they are, um, and it is helping now finally that we do have that buy-in. So um, international association of firefighters, international association of fire chiefs, national volunteer fire council. Um, even on our own uh, National Fallen Firefighters. Um, prior to, to recent history, they didn't recognize occupational cancer as, as a line of duty death. They did in Canada, we didn't here in the US. So. What
0: did they used to say that it, that it was from? Well. They couldn't tell?
1: They, they felt there wasn't enough scientific evidence to quantify mm. the causational connection.
0: A lot of people just sort of associate smoking. Sure. For example. The general
1: public thinks that lung cancer is, is the number one killer of firefighters, and it is not. It is okay. Not. It's a whole host of, of other cancers, you know, brain cancer, kidney cancer. Uh, I mean, you touched on 9-11. What, yes. what
0: was the stats that came out of So thyroid there?
1: cancer is running very high among the group. And, really? And we've learned um, that the levels of mercury were extraordinary um, on that, that ground mm. uh, at the World Trade Center because of all the light ballast. Really? Yes. So that's one of those those things that you wouldn't think until you start digging in and and trying to track back where these chemicals are coming from Mm. and going back to the origin uh, and doing the investigative work again this is this is how we're learning and this is how we're moving forward
0: there must have been so much carcinogens around that Oh,
1: incredible the the folks world trade center presented with a cough Typically first, so you had the WTC cough, World Trade Center cough. Really? This showed up very quickly in a lot of those workers Mm -hmm. uh, on that ground. Then they started having uh, GERD, uh, gastric uh, reflux issues. Then you saw other diseases starting to to show up and and other issues coming in. Uh, We're learning that we believe anxiety is not only being triggered by what The firefighters are seeing and being exposed to Mm -hmm. but potentially by the heavy metals and by the chemicals being accumulated in the body as well that's a whole other area that's going to need further study Mm. but again as we're starting to to check these boxes off and figure out where we need to go in the future with these things um, it'll it'll produce a healthier work environment for our folks as we move forward Mm. now we just have to have the the equipment and the clothing to match
0: and what are some of those barriers, do you think, to get them to adopt? What are the major barriers? Money
1: is one. Okay. Um, being able to afford all these, these new things. Uh, the technology is, is, is not cheap. Um, it's quite expensive for research and development uh, of new technologies and, and these new things that we're going to need for the fire service. Mm-hmm. You're looking at these budgets now being stretched further than ever. You know, before the budgets were to keep the fire stations open, to keep the personnel paid and on duty, to keep the equipment functioning and paid for, now you're having to pay for decontamination. You're having to pay for medical expenses that have never had to be covered before.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it's it's a whole nother area that we need to be more creative in addressing. Uh, we're looking at um, one of the the things we're testing is, is having the insurance companies potentially contribute to some of those costs moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know it's currently common practice to board up a building and having the securing of that building covered by the homeowners or the business owners insurance that's the price of doing business so why would decontamination not also be part of that that price part mm. of that cost needs to be cleaned in, in up Doing that, correct?
0: because mm. I imagine yeah they just board up the house and it's full of all the carcinogens mm-hmm. and it's just left there yes so yes. it's either knocked down or and then
1: and then think about what we're turning over to to the owner of that building not knowing what they're walking into and what they're being exposed to yeah coming back in
0: i think yeah i think we're gonna we're gonna continue this uh relationship hopefully Mm -hmm. and i think we can really make some content around this for you Absolutely. i mean we spoke about that briefly but let's touch on that what do what would you like to have created in terms Mm -hmm. of immersive content that we could create that might help with your message or learning Uh, or training.
1: So some of it moving forward, not only with regards to the actual exposures themselves, um, and and actual learning how to decontaminate properly. We, we've seen a variety of videos and a variety of, of attempts out there. Um, people want to do the right thing and we've seen a lot of good intentions, but wrong application, if you will. Mm -hmm. Sometimes doing less is more. Uh, and sometimes not doing something and not making a situation worse is almost a better choice than, than of the, the mindset and the thinking, well, we just need to do something. So let's just grab the first thing available in, in thinking that we're doing something. Tick in a box. Correct. Correct. Because we, we realized uh, with regards to the, the decontamination wipes and some of the early decontamination products that they were actually worse for the skin. They were worse for the chemicals uh, than...
0: So you're just wiping something on you that's not great. Correct,
1: correct. So again, over the past five years, that thinking has changed greatly now to what should actually be in the decontamination products that we're adding to that layer of of carcinogens Mm. that we know can make us sick. Yeah. You know, how do we not make that situation worse? I bet
0: it's hard though, because you've got to now test the wipes, Correct. To, that are going to wipe off the stuff, but then yes. the stuff that's on the skin could be a number of different things. Correct. How does that react with that?
1: Yes. <laughs> the, the positive is that you have places like uh, NC State, North Carolina State is one of the, the folks that we're working with um, in that research right now to look at which decontamination products actually do bind to those, those toxins on mm. the skin, how effectively do they remove them, what are the effects left on the skin itself? In other words, are we gonna have actually have tissue breakdown? Um, are we gonna accelerate those carcinogens coming through the dermal layers? Or are we actually removing through safe means and, and not making the problem worse? Mm-hmm. These are all things, again, that only have been surmised. Uh, we haven't had solid proof as of yet uh, in, in in that scientific realm as to what we're actually doing effectively.
0: So do you think there could be some, maybe a set of videos that are made that would could show how to do these decontamination areas absolutely absolutely there's a very
1: specific process also for just just for wiping down the body yeah Um, once the gear is removed there's a specific order that's recommended so that you're not introducing more carcinogens whether it's through the mouth through the nose or through the skin Mm.
0: i think if we could do some sort of content that showed that process it's super as we've seen with all of the vr stuff it's super powerful to be able to put a headset on these guys mm-hmm. and show them spatially what we mean by wiping the skin or decontamination zone, yes. cold zone, hot zone. Yes. I think that's gonna be powerful. Yes. So is, I think that's something we're gonna be looking at with um, Kevin and yourself as well. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be looking at that in the future. Yeah. That's exciting.
1: Another area that we're looking at is medical monitoring. Okay. Um, and this is where I believe we can take what we're learning from the cancer oncology community and those advancements where they're employing VR to how the chemicals transfer into the body, where they go, how they affect cells, healthy cells become sick cells and then become cancer cells. So if we can, again, introduce that in a way that is maybe gentle uh, without scaring you know, yeah. our, our group that we're working with. And, and that's, that's part of what we're trying to figure out now is... Uh, We've told them that the chance of getting cancer is extraordinary. We're now seeing a swing back in in that mentality where, well, if I'm gonna be exposed anyways, and I'm gonna get cancer anyways, then let me just throw caution to the wind. That's not where we need to go. Mm. Um, You
0: don't want the new recruits coming thinking the same thing as that?
1: No. Okay. So to be able to look at medical medical monitoring, and and there's some great documents now that are available Uh, the Wellness Fitness Initiative, put together uh, a recommendation for firefighter physicals and this is for basic medical monitoring uh, for folks. This is not enhanced monitoring, if you will, but it's a starting point. Uh, We then went to Dr. Michael Hamrock and asked him to adapt his document for firefighter physicals to the fire investigator community. Mm -hmm. So he took it a step further and created a letter for fire investigators to actually take to their physicians. Okay. Uh, many fire investigators are on their own when it comes to the medical monitoring of their health.
0: So this is like a helping the, the medical guys yes. understand what they should be looking for, yes. things, you know, that's good. Yes. Really good.
1: And then as we expand, if, if we can take, again, newer technology, um, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation is going to be embarking in uh, biomarker uh, research and, and work. Of starting in 2020.
0: And what's what does that do? What's that?
1: Well, we have a, a, a new partner coming on where we're actually going to be looking at blood testing and relating those biomarker levels and and protein uh, algorithms to what we're physically seeing in real time in the body. Okay. With that, now we can actually track how fast are these diseases progressing and changing within the body. You know, everyone has their own DNA imprint, if you will. Mm. So again, trying to take one model, one box, and fit everyone into it, you can't. Yeah. That's not how we're designed. You
0: need big data of all the firefighters.
1: Correct. Correct. Uh, at the same time, if we can figure out whether it's by region and regional profile that certain diseases are trending higher, if uh, you know your cities that have higher asbestos, higher specific chemicals in what they're exposed to, if we can look at also the, the age um, of these folks. You know, why is the mean age for cancer becoming younger in the fire service? Is it because the chemicals are worse? Or is it because of all the other things that, that firefighters are facing now? High stress, being dehydrated, being exhausted, working multiple jobs. You know,
0: so many different variables.
1: Exactly. You know, nutrition, um, nutrition in the U.S. has, has got to change moving mm. forward. You know, we're, we're living in an overprocessed world now. Again, more chemicals. Um, it's, it's amazing when you look at where all the chemicals are coming from. It's not just when you're on duty as a firefighter, it's through general life. Hmm. So how do we temper that balance of off duty versus on duty? Hmm. So that we don't again, accentuate the problem. You, you sound job security. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you sound like you've got a very busy schedule then. We, do. we do. And We're how many's seven. in the team?
1: We actually have, uh, we have a few dozen on the team. Okay. We also have a very active chapter in Australia. Um, cool. We have folks in South America that we've been working with for quite some time and that team is gonna be expanding in 2020 as well. So the whole
0: thing's expanding?
1: It is, it is. Um, we're looking forward to hopefully going to Germany this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Intershoot. for, for Intershoots, yes. Okay. And, and we've been invited to uh, some other parts of the world as well for some of the work and the research that we're doing.
0: Well, hopefully there's something you can come and have a look at in the UK soon as well.
1: I would love to. <laughs> have
0: you been before i have not
1: oh okay no
0: let's let's organize something then absolutely so okay that's been amazing thanks for having a chat sure do you think we can uh put you in virtual reality and give you a little test of what we've never been able to show you yes (laughs) okay that's great we will i think we'll just carry on with the audio here and ty will carry on filming okay and i'll just do a little demo like i normally do okay thanks cindy yeah you're in the container it feels real <laughs> good so turn around let's just hold this controller actually you should have two now uh-huh. you see this other one yes got it cool mm-hmm. so let's just do a 360 turn around and get a feel for where you are i'll just hold this cable so you don't trip over it okay. that's it do keep turning and go all the way around till you get back to where you were facing okay good so you're in this container if you look above your head mm-hmm. you've ah. got some tools above you So let's just pick up one of them with your left hand. Let's touch the controller. That's it. The little, let go of your thumb and just touch that and it should go blue. And then when it goes blue, pull the trigger, which is on your index finger. Ah, That's it. And now just let go of the trigger now and Ah, it drops on the floor. Cool. So now let's get the camera above your head. That's it. And now with your thumb, you can take a photo. So move your um, your left thumb here okay. onto the big pad, Whoops. push down a bit. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Use your thumb, take a photo. That's it. So you can oh, take wow. a few photos. Oops, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So if I'm looking at like burn pattern, That's it. You okay. can take a photo of that and we can look at the photo shortly. Wow. But in this container, as you look around, you can obviously see that where you think the fire might have started there's one corner that's a little bit more burnt than the others Mm -hmm. so let go of the camera it'll go up and now let's practice teleporting so with your controller push down with this thumb Mm -hmm. and point at the floor Mm -hmm. and then anywhere that's blue you can let go and you'll teleport to that area so down a little bit down a little bit there you go let go Uh Oh wow! that's That's it so you just teleported so the other option of moving around is with your feet Ah. so take a couple of steps forward towards the window and look up you see the um, see on the windowsill there's like a vase Mm -hmm. reach over to the vase and pick it up so walk towards it keep going that's it now touch the vase and pick it up use your index finger finger. that's it it. oh (laughs) did it land on the floor Uh, I think you pressed evidence, which is what I was going to show you how to do. (laughs) So if you look to your right, there's a little cabinet. Look down. Yes. There you go. You see the cup on top of the cabinet? Yes. Let's pick up the cup with a left or right hand. It's up to you. Okay. That's it. Lean down, touch it, and then pull the trigger, pick it up. Okay, got it. Now bring it to your face. Yeah, you can see the detail. Okay, yes. And now, this is what we're doing. If Ah. we're not, we can press evidence now, which is the top half of this controller, up a bit. Um, yeah. and press it yeah. cool ah. so now what happens is you go through the scene like you would okay. in the real world and yeah. disregard bits of evidence okay. so let's try yeah there's a, like a timer there I think you can pick that up mm-hmm. pull the trigger pick it up yeah. you can see underneath it as well it's all been scanned okay. wow. and it's got physics so you can drop it now as well or throw it it's all as it would be in the real world ah, Okay. <laughs> ah, that's, cool. that's it pick it up yeah. <laughs> and now you can evidence it to get it into the lab okay. and now i want to show you one more thing let's evidence that just press that's it yeah. now you've got a uh, flashlight above your head yes let's grab that okay. pull the, so just touch it pull the trigger yeah. and now let's look at all these dark areas right. so you can turn around and look in the right that's it it gives you the ability to really see into the sort of corners.
1: So now you can actually look at the patterns.
0: Yes, let's have a look at the smoke pattern on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You
1: can actually see the burn pattern and patterns of uh, uh, possible
0: accelerant used, mm. or something used. Yep. And if you look on the floor right in front of you, that looks like the corner with the most sort of damage. Mm-hmm. So down here, um, in this scene, we actually put some investigators through it two days ago in the UK okay. and they spent two hours in the scene wow. <laughs> wow. and if you don't have to do it, but you can obviously get on your knees and you can look underneath things and the guys get worried about um, getting their clothes dirty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is the beauty of it because you're not going to get dirty at all. Right. all. Um, so we won't. I won't go through the whole scene, I just wanted to show you briefly, but if you If you just have a look at the sofa, for example, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to evidence all the items in the room, so I'm going to skip about an hour. Okay. So I'm just going to press Evidence All Objects. Mm -hmm. So now you can see, because we scan the room empty Mm -hmm. and full, Mm -hmm. we get all of the patterns behind the sofa. Ah. And behind every item. So this is what they do um, in their real training. Yes. So if you turn around to the doorway, Mm -hmm. that's it, and teleport over to the doorway as close as you can. So use your thumb, that's down a bit, that's it. Push down with your thumb, point at the floor just by the door, and then let go, that's it. Now (laughs) you see the door handle, you should be able to touch it, uh, and it'll go blue. And now pull the trigger and pull the door open. Mm -hmm. That's it, (laughs) I love seeing you stepping through the door, you moved out of the way. So let's teleport out there, use your thumb to teleport. That's it. And now turn left once you've teleported. So let go. Turn left. Left, left, left. left. Now, cool. So this is the bit, Cindy, that we line everything up Mm -hmm. in the lab like it is laid out inside the container so that you can now go behind the sofa and have a look Mm -hmm. at the pattern. So just teleport behind the the couch. Mm -hmm. That's it. And now look at the pattern on that sofa. Mm -hmm. You can clearly tell which side the fire came from. Yeah, so it's over there, and also now let's teleport to the tables, the lab benches over there, that's it, just teleport to one of those items just next to it, (laughs) that's it, now walk up and pick up that cup for example, I'm just showing you that we have all the items in a better light, so you can reach out and pick it up, look underneath it, yes, in here it's a lot um, brighter than it was in, in the container. So another thing is, if you look up, there's a dictaphone above your head, yes. on the far right. Just uh-huh. grab that, <laughs> you can use either hand, uh-huh. just grab it and pull the trigger once you touched it. A little bit higher, pull the trigger, uh-huh. cool. uh, that's it, uh-huh. yes. cool. So now, instead of writing paper notes uh-huh. for their investigators, they can just make voice notes. And at the end of the training, we turn it into, into text for them. Wow. So let go of that. That goes up. Now, the last bit of the training is just teleport to the, just into a space where it's in the middle of nowhere. That's it. Over there is fine. Just teleport using your thumb. That's it. Let go. Now, with your thumb on this hand, there's a small button just above there. Mm-hmm. Press that for me that's it ah, okay. cool now this is your little menu so you yeah. can use the left hand or the right hand mm-hmm. to point at things so I won't go through everything but the backstory tells you a bit of a background of why the container is why it is that's it if you click on student photos you should be able to see that's it trigger, trigger. pull the trigger ah, there there's your photos yeah so you ah, can yeah. click on one of those with a trigger and it'll get bigger I think the controllers okay. are That's it. Now, click on back, top left. Mm I just want to show you another thing. That's, try the other controller for me. Yeah. Let's try that one and go home again. That's it. Mm -hmm. Now click on videos. So at the end of your training, Cindy, Mm -hmm. when you came up with your hypothesis of how you think the fire started, Mm -hmm. you can then watch the burn video. So pull the trigger now Mm -hmm. and you see where the fire started. So this is going to be a 360 video. It's a little bit different. Oh, wow. You'll feel tall, but don't worry. Okay. So keep turning around a bit. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. That's it. So you can see the whole room. Mm-hmm. And there was clothes hanging over an electric uh, heater. Okay. Inside this container. Wow. So you can use your thumb now on this mm-hmm. pad to mm-hmm. skip through. You can go right, right, right. Oh, gotcha. Keep skipping. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Keep going. Fast forward. That's it. Yeah, and now, okay. yeah. Now you can maybe yeah. do two more clicks. There you go. Now this is the bit that we just talked about, mm-hmm. you're having no exposure,
1: Yes.
0: but you're learning now about how fire behaviour, how about, how about how fire behaves. Yes. Obviously it feels quite shocking, <laughs> there you go, wow. exit. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take the headset off because that is a very brief, you know, sort of mm-hmm. run through that was really quick. But That was amazing. Okay, good. but yeah tell me what you thought
1: it's interesting because um as your mind is processing you know Mm. you're you're taking all this in and and you're thinking through traditional means Mm. um you're you're cataloging in your mind what you think you're seeing and feeling versus What's actually, what's, what's actually... there. What's happening there. to your body. Yes, yes.
0: You're like, this doesn't feel normal. Correct. It's a disconnect. Correct. A safe disconnect maybe. Yes. Um, and one of the other things, the, if you think back now to being in that scene, uh-huh. you've, you picked up a cup yes. and looked at it. Think back to that memory in your head or uh-huh. do it later. Do it tonight. Do it uh-huh. tomorrow. Uh-huh. And your brain will think that you've been in that scenario. Yeah. The, the added extra is the touch. The, the ability that your brain thinks that you had a hand and it mm-hmm. picked up a cup. Yes. These are really powerful um, muscle memory yes. things. And we're seeing the research. Like you're seeing the research mm-hmm. on the fire side of things. We're seeing the research on the brain VR side of things mm-hmm. coming through. Knowledge retention times six increased in VR yes. compared to PDFs and PowerPoints. Which
1: we know are
0: not Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <full> <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's one of the challenges, we're hitting the fire service with so much information right now that they're on overload. Mm. So how do we make this more digestible and absorbable um, so that we have that retention, so that we have that understanding that we know they're going to need moving forward that they're not getting now? Yeah. I, I really think that this is definitely the way of the future.
0: Good. I think it's been really good to show you. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if there's anyone you want us to come and demo to, you just let me know sure. while we're over here, we can come and show people. Mm-hmm. Amazing. thanks indy thank you really good to catch up again i think that's that's it